minutes. I'm going to try to do 25 today. So bear with me. So we are at the end of Luke chapter 9 uh, this morning. And man, like if you've been tracking with us, you should know that Luke, Luke chapter 9 has been such a rich uh, book that we've gone through. through uh, uh, I mean, part of the, of the book of Luke that we've gone through. And what we kind of got from the, the, the Luke chapter 9 is this idea that actually there's a gear change in Jesus' ministry after he's just done so much work kind of displaying what his kingdom is about. And now he's been kind of uh, bringing about the idea of this is the pattern of the kingdom of God. It is full of sacrifice. Jesus two times in chapter 9 spoke about his impending death on the cross, right? And so as we track through, there's this switch, this gear change, this focus in Jesus of him heading to the cross uh, in Jerusalem. And the tone of everything changes from this chapter into the rest of of the book of Luke. And so I, I wanted to actually... Uh, have us look at a few of the scriptures just to really uh, prepare the soils of our heart because what Jesus has to say to us today is one of those things that we just think, is this guy crazy? Is he actually looking for followers? Or, or, or what is going on? And so listen to a few of the verses in chapter 9 that we've heard. So when he sent out his disciples to go, uh, to go preach the gospel, he said, guys, take nothing for the road. So essentially... Allow yourself to be uncomfortable for the sake of the mission. Second thing in verse 13, he says, you, you give them something to eat. So don't think about just your own mouth. Think about how you're going to solve the problem that we have in front of us. Inconvenience yourself for other people. Third thing, uh, he said that the Son of Man was going to suffer, was going to be rejected, he was going to be killed. And gloriously, he was going to be raised on the third. That's in verse 22. Verse 23, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So the very thing that he's going to experience, he says, you guys must be prepared to experience a measure of it. Verse 44, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Doesn't sound like it's like nice to be Jesus. It, it doesn't. And so... It doesn't feel like it's all too rosy to even be a follower. So in verse 8, he says, Whoever is the least among you, this one is the great. So again, even that, he says, don't, don't look to go ahead of others. Look to serve others. Look to be one who doesn't look to self, navel-gazing, but actually looks to other people's needs. So these are some shocking statements and frankly uncomfortable at times. Because whatever he says, he's calling us to actually live within those realities. So today's scripture, friends, let it not rattle our bones because we've been in chapter 9. We know that Jesus is a shocker whenever he starts to speak. So let's listen to him. Let's not be rattled, but let's be convicted rather by what he has to say. And so let's read the scripture together. We're in Luke chapter 9 verse 57 to verse 62 this morning. If you don't have it, it's on the screen. It reads, as they were traveling, they were traveling on the uh, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Jesus uh, he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. 
But Jesus told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another yet said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word. This is Jesus speaking. And so before I even get ahead, I, I need to credit someone uh, because not so long ago, uh, a group of us heard a sermon from a guy called Monisi Malaba, who is part of the Advance uh, church, church Network that we are part of. Uh, he's in Kenya, Nairobi. And man, like I've heard this sermon done over and over again, but this guy captured me. And so I decided not to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and so I am going to go according to some of the, the titles that he's given us because I think he did brilliantly. So I want to credit him with that. However, I do think there's something seated in God's word today that is for us. And it's very, very relevant for us. It's not about what we heard before. And I know some of us would have heard the sermon. But actually, it's not about what you've heard before. It's about what God is saying to you today. So let's focus on that. So first statement that Jesus says that he has no place to place his head. He compares himself to foxes. He comes, compares himself to birds. But he doesn't just merely do this. This is after a guy has just passionately said, Lord, I will follow you. Man, like what a passionate statement that this disciple is showing. Uh, is that our attitude? Uh, are we keen or eager enough to say, Lord, what are you doing? I will follow you. Or are we a bit held back and reserved about it? Well, Jesus, Jesus doesn't actually let this guy just join in the fun, so to speak. The fun of having no place to stay, but wandering about, but with a purpose and a cause uh, that's holding these guys to continue what they're doing. Jesus says to him, Chief, <laughs> what you are asking to do in following me is not going to be easy. In fact, our first title is the idea that actually Jesus is calling us to put him first above our comfort, to put the mission ahead above our own convenience. And when I was reading this, I, I couldn't help but hear the echoes of the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read Isaiah 53. I mean, it should be one of the most common scriptures quoted in churches because it speaks about the passion of Christ, right? This idea that Christ would suffer, he would not be seen for who he is, he had no majesty that we would recognize him in. There was nothing in Jesus Christ that would attract us, and yet Jesus is the one who suffered, who incurred the cost of our sin upon himself. Isaiah 53 paints a beautiful picture of sacrifice. And actually, that's the core of the pattern that Jesus is trying to show us in the scriptures. And so when he says to this guy, warning, guy, listen, this means, if you're going to say, I'll follow you, Lord, this means that you must be willing to let go of comfort in life. So soft life, soft life is a thing, is an issue of contention when it comes to the faith. So he's not asking something of this guy that he himself is not doing. And he's upfront showing his card and saying, Chief, this is, this is a goal that I'm going through. This is what's going on in my life. 
So are you, are you willing to do the same? You see, I think Christianity has taken a soft life turn in our lives, in our day and age. Preachers no longer teach people how to suffer well for the gospel. It's something that I'm personally passionate about because I've seen people give their lives over. I mean, you hear us talk about the prosperity gospel often, but the problem is not so much the idea of prosperity in itself because the Bible, the pinnacle of the Bible is about prosperity. At the Garden of Eden, God prospered man and woman by giving him the riches of his garden. They, they were eating whatever they eat, ate, and they were in dominion of everything. God is not opposed to soft life, friends. In the end of the Bible, we see God says no tears, no hunger, that everything will be amazing. God is not opposed to soft life, my friends. But what God is opposed to is the lies that we are sold as to how we attain it. You see, this idea of seek ye first the kingdom of God and the rest will follow is a lost art in Christianity. We speak it, but we don't live it. That's a problem, my friends. God has no problem with the word of faith movement. He wants us to actually have faith in him for big things and tremendous things. But he has a problem with the way that we tend to weave our own words to attain the things that we want. We, we only speak faith when it benefits us, but not faith when it comes to sacrifice. Mogilin is a stelling <laughs> example of this. He's like, oh, oh, so job is going to benefit me and my family? What of other people? What happened to the compassion of, compassionate heart of God and the people of God? Friends, we are sold to a, to a soft life that is a dream under what God has already depicted. He's already promised something far more measurable than what we submit ourselves to. You see, this is not the high life. The, the thing that we are sold is not the high life. There's yet a higher one. There's yet a higher one, and it's found in Jesus Christ alone. I love one old hymn that we used to sing. It goes, And it goes to actually to this uh, Luke chapter 9, and it says, uh, like, but you must take your own cross. You know, like if you're going to love living within the fold of Jesus Christ, you must be a person who's akin to picking up your own cross and dying to self to follow him. So we've dealt with soft life and that actually God is not opposed to it, but there's a way in which he wants you to attain it. There's another thing. It's not just comfort. It's not just about soft life. Comfort is also about routine, religious living. Sometimes it's just comfortable in looking right and saying the right things in church, right? Sometimes if I, only make, if I make my tick-the-box attendance the right. But actually, what of what God has called us to beyond the comfortable living? Behind, beyond me looking good? And this kind of look, looks different ways, right? Sometimes when we are in, in a, in a, in a, in a kind of intimate space and we're asking people questions like a community group setting and say, hey, like, what about... What about you? Like, what, what, what has God been showing you about your own sin lately? Or what has God been showing you that you're not consistent in as far as living as a Christian? And the answers you get often are like masked, right? It's, I'm trying to make myself look a particular way. The problem there is that actually you have a religious spirit in you. 
You have a sense of living like the right picture, but not living out the truth as it should be. So as I said, sometimes it's easy to follow the rules. Then the thing there is actually, I don't, I don't think that leads you to inconvenience. I don't think that's uncomfortable. Bare minimum Christianity is not what God has called us to. He's called us to excel in giving of ourselves. He's called us to excel in being more and more sacrificial. Go read chapter 9 again and point to me a place where Jesus called any of these guys to a comfortable life. In fact, he says, the more and more you try, scurry up and gain everything that you can of this life, it's the more and more you lose your life. But when you are willing to lose your life and give everything to him, that's when you gain it. Are you seeing the backwards way of looking at this idea of comfort? Is that actually Jesus is not opposed to it. The problem is not soft life in itself. He promises it. The problem is not uh, living according to what he's called us to. So following Jesus' commands is not religiosity in itself. Religiosity is when we make that the main thing or the main picture of our lives. The problem here at the core is comfort. The problem is comfort, friends. So Jesus says, be prepared for the worst. Be prepared, yet be prepared for the best. Be prepared for the worst now, but be prepared for the worst. I mean, be prepared for the worst now, but be prepared for the best later. It will not be a comfortable journey, but it will be a comfortable end. So if you take comfort or express your Christianity in comfort, you may have placed comfort above the intense followership that Jesus requires of us. Saying yes to things that don't make it easy to follow Jesus is what he calls us to. So we cannot be followers of convenience and yet still be followers of Christ. It's, it's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't click together. And so when this guy says, I will follow you, Lord, just as I will encourage you to continue saying, are you willing to take up the thing that Jesus says? That it won't be easy. It just won't be easy. Let's move on to our second point. The second thing that we see is another guy that Jesus now turns to. So he's heard a guy say, I will follow you, Lord. Jesus turns to another guy and says, hey, follow me. And the guy says something different to the first guy. Well, the first guy didn't say any, get to say anything. He just got given, sacrifice yourself. This guy, he comes to Jesus and says, but like, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. If I turn to my notes, I want to point out something here. The contrast between uh, what he wants to do and what Jesus tells him to do. He wants to go fix his affairs. Jesus tells him to go spread the news. Have that in your mind. So, delving deep into kind of some of the background of this, and I think, uh, again, credit to Mbonisi for this part, and I, I started to actually think and look at this stuff. And he says there's two split views on this thing. 
it's the one view where it's, uh, the, 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 the dad is dead now and this guy has to go tend to those affairs. Or is that actually culturally it was known that a son has to be about his father's affairs unless he's married. Right? So that second view means actually he, he owes, culturally uh, he owes to his dad to be with him until his dad is no more so that he can go about his business unless he gets married. So whether, whether you and I fall within, this guy is being reasonable. We can hear him just like all of us, right? Your family needs you. Your friends need you. Uh, your, your work needs you. Whoever needs you, I'm going to go and I'm going to tend to that problem. Or, like, it's like very relaxed. Hey, can I do this first and then I'll see about this kingdom business once I don't have any other cultural obligations or responsibilities. So for the first view, in him attending to, 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 to his family, Je- Jesus is not opposed to this man mourning his father if he is more in mourning. But Jesus is actually trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point that the mission might strip you out of the norm. There's times where the mission of God will pull you out of your normal routines and normal cultural expectations simply because the urgency to preach the good news to those who are alive now, who have a hope to get life today, is far more pressing than that of who he's, who's dead, who the hope in the gospel is no more. I know being a black person myself, I know the cultural pressure for funeral covers and the pressure to be at each and every funeral you can be at. Now, the Bible teaches us to mourn with whoever mourns. But we have, we have a fixation around this idea of funeral, of celebrating life when it's ended instead of helping preserve life by preaching good news today. That is a problem, my friends. That is a sickness in our culture. And Jesus is saying the, the, the pressing measure of preaching the good news matter of preaching the good news is far more important and urgent than that of burying the dead. Whether it's the second view you hold, that he's going to tend to his father's business, Jesus is not opposed to honoring your mother and father. He teaches it. But he's making a point that sometimes if honoring our parents leads you to to discard the call to follow Jesus, you will have a big problem. And I, I don't know. I mean, we talk a lot about black text. I don't know what your experience has been around this. But there's a problem in that. And the primary problem around that is actually sometimes you are called to make compromises to your faith for the sake of honoring parent. But the reality is at that point you have measured your parent above God. You see, the one who calls us to honor our parents is the one who ought to be honored first. Because when we honor him, we will always honor God. But if we seek to honor parents first above God, chances are you might not get to honor God at all. You see, both are the same in point. Christ must come first before our cultural expectations. Christ must come first before our cultural expectations. The challenge here is that the, the pursuit uh, to please anyone out of the expectations will clash with the call to follow Jesus. We live in a broken world, friends. 
Everyone is self-seeking, including myself and you. And it wants us to compromise our faith. Like in your heart of hearts, when you wake up in the morning on a Sunday morning and it just feels hard to just come and praise Jesus, you're self-seeking in your comfort. And you are happier there than you are here. Truth being told. But the challenge here is for us to not compromise who we hold to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our lives. So there's something that I wanted to say that would probably be slightly off even around the idea of what Jesus is actually saying. And this jumped at me as something that I'd never seen this way before. When, <laughs> when Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Let the dead bury the dead. That is, that is hectic. That is hectic. But do we see what Jesus means? Do we see that actually Jesus is pointing out the fact that actually those who are spiritually dead, who you left at your father's house, can carry on and bury the one who's dead? As for you, turn away. Look forward to what Jesus has called you to do and do just that. Do, do we spend time fixating on those who are dead in the, in spiritually? And I can imagine that this guy being a disciple of Jesus Christ was so excited about the good news of Jesus Christ that he would have at some point gone back home and said, guys, I found the truth of life and that is Jesus Christ. Will you guys follow? Any of us here have shared gospel with our family? Any of us have noticed the high rate of rejection simply because of who it comes from? Friends, this man is in a context where the good news is being preached left, right, and center. His family would have heard about Jesus Christ doing miraculous acts, and yet still, they're in the state of death that they are in. Spiritually, they do not reckon, who, uh, reckon with the truth of who God is. So this man, being fixated to go be about his father's business when his father has rejected the truth of life, why would he want to turn back there? Perhaps there's a reason why Jesus says, let it go. Either you are here proclaiming good news or you are busy with the dead, burying other dead. Friends, we do believe that. That if any of us are in the room and we haven't truly given your life to Jesus Christ, we believe that you are spiritually dead not alive to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, not willing to, come to, 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 to let go of the comforts of this life, not because you are just stubborn, but because there's something inside of you that's not come alive to the reality of who God is yet. Surrender your own comforts. Surrender your own cultural expectations to Jesus. And friends, I promise you that Jesus Christ will make good on his word. That the comfort that you seek now, he will give to you later. That the honor that he's asking you to give him above everything else, he will honor back to you. But above that, the proclamation that he's asking these guys to proclaim is actually the very source of life. It's the gospel, the truth that God himself came to earth to come see how we live, to come experience the struggles that you and I experience. He's not God who doesn't understand that these things are contentious and are hard to do. 
He himself was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Friends, Jesus knows that it's hard to reject the ways of this world. But Jesus didn't merely come to suffer what, we've, what we suffer day to day, but he came to suffer the ultimate suffering on the cross. He died so that you and I could now have life. That we would not be accounted among the dead who are burying the dead, but would be those who have heard the proclamation of the good news from his followers and how have life. That is the call that God is making to us. A bit of a side note from me. The other thing that I noticed personally when I was, and actually it was this morning as I was going through my notes, was, man, ah, 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 ah. Self-sabotage. Give me five. Um, so the, the idea that actually whenever we don't proclaim is when we lose sight of the gospel. Whenever we don't proclaim is when we lose sight of the gospel. Whenever we turn to something else, guess what? We have forgotten that this is the source of life and the thing that will bring life to everybody around us. We think that tending to them and being part of what they're doing is what's going to bring them life. No. You will never please a human being enough. You'll never give them enough. You'll never die for them enough. There's nothing that you can do that will give enough for this person to receive everlasting life other than turn them to Jesus Christ. But it's not just about them. It's about you, friend. It's about you. Like, have you noticed that every time you don't daily look at the gospel or daily actually share with others the gospel, that slowly but surely you become dissatisfied with what the gospel has to offer? So my urge to you is you should proclaim. Keep yourself fresh in sharing the good news with others. Because the less you do it, the more you're dissatisfied with what it has to offer. So my thing to you, friends, is leave what's dead to what's dead. You go about proclaiming the kingdom of your Father. Last point. There's a cost to it. There's a cost to it. So here he tells the man who he's called to follow to not look back while he's on the plow. He says anyone who looks back while they're on the plow, they are as good as useless to the kingdom of God. We've touched a bit on this, right? You look back to what's dead, guess what? You get death. But you look forward to what Christ is doing, then you get proclamation of life and life-giving responses. Mine is not much, but to say this, it cost Jesus his life on the cross to gain your salvation. It cost the disciples their lives. If you remember Peter, in this case, it's not just merely life, it's also his livelihood. Peter, being a fisherman, Jesus comes to them and says, Hey, guys, I see you're all fishing. How about you let go of fishing and become fishers of men? Fishing is the way that these guys eat and drink and feed their families. Jesus says there's some, something far more significant. The urgency to bring people back to life in him is far more pressing than that of fish. So, so please come. Rather fish men and not fish fish. That's just a weird way to say that. What of Paul? 
and I struggle to find like an example of trying to illustrate this properly, but think about it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 that he can, he can do both he can do both without or with plenty because of the power that is the, the power that he gets from Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how I memorized it back in the day when I was very charismatic. So again, even then, he says, no, like guys, I can do all things. And he's not saying all things like I'm always glorious and, you know, above the top and always prospering. He's saying, no, no, no. Just verses before that, he says, no, I, can, I know how to be in plenty and I know how to be in little. But in all of this, I can do all things because Christ is the one who is the source of my strength. So again, as I said, God is not opposed to soft life. He's not opposed to us following what he calls us to do. But he wants us to follow him whether it's whether Gubi, whether Gumnandi. Jesus wants us to follow him. And so the disciples' lives were given to God. And surprise, surprise, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your life to follow Jesus. It is the pattern that Jesus has been trying to bring out, that actually for, for salvation to come up upon people, there's going to be a sacrifice. And if you care about the salvation of others as much as you do of your own, it's going to take a sacrifice. So to be useful to the kingdom of God requires you not to look to what you lose in following him. But you need to realize what you gain by letting go. You gain much more by letting go of what's behind you post-Jesus Christ than you do by looking to it. As I said, salvation comes by his sacrifice, but our salvation is expressed by our own sacrifice. That's the true fruit of salvation, is that now we are willing to, to sacrifice as he has sacrificed for us. So will you say today with me, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. Not because of just your promises, but because you are God worth following. One of the, th the things that keep on st is stuck in my mind whenever I, I think about my service to God and to others is this idea that actually never follow a king who's not willing to go to the front lines of the battle himself. Because then he doesn't value the sacrifice of the people who goes ahead of him. But our king is a brilliant one. He's one who charges right in the front and center of battle. He's the one who bought us our salvation with his own blood. So when he calls you to do a minor thing like an inconvenience and comfort, or he calls you to actually honor him above cultural expectations, or he calls you to, be <laughs> to actually lose stuff for the sake of others gaining him and life, it's a, it's a minor thing in comparison to his own sacrifice. So will you say with me this morning, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. Amen.